Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. We are continuing our study in pondering the path of our feet, and we're talking about specifically pondering the path of our feet as it relates to parenting. And we are going to jump in. I, I know that I'm going to ask you to try to stay focused. I know that most of you are excited about the business meeting. You just want to get right to it. But I want to ask you to try to stay locked in as we have our regular Sunday evening service before we get to that exciting time. And I'm glad that you are here and glad that you're here for that. But I want to remind you of what we're doing. We're looking to see where the outside influences have wormed their way in or weaseled their way into our thinking as Christians, where we have taken non-biblical thoughts and we have allowed them to become a part of our life. And pondering the path of our feet, remember going way back to the very first time we talked about it, talked about how the Gibeonites showed up. Remember the story? They came up and said they were dressed in old clothes and their, their sandals were worn out. And they said, we've come from a far country. And, uh, and, and Joshua said, okay, well, great. Well, we'll just make a league with you. And it turns out they were close by. Uh, they just came up and they straight up lied. And our culture lies to us all the time. It tries to get us to follow different things other than God's word. And so we've been looking at, as far as parenting, what is it that God wants us to do? And we've looked at a number of different things. And I want you to understand the importance. I am taking a little bit more time with this than I did with others. We're not full on doing a full parenting seminar. Now, because I know that, that, that we can get a lot more specific if we were just going to do a parenting seminar, as it were. But this is something I am taking a little bit more time on because, listen, strong churches don't produce strong families. It's strong families that produce strong churches. You can't have a strong church without strong families. And now some of you may be saying there, well, Pastor Goforth, I don't have kids. Well, Pastor Goforth, I don't. Yes, but you are a part of a family. And any way that we can strengthen the family, it's an important, important thing. And so I want to encourage you as we look into this, because it doesn't matter if you're single or if you're married with no kids or married with kids and grandkids, uh, you can take something from this to help, because especially what we're going to talk about today, we've talked about three key things. Remember, a compass, a map, and a clock. The compass is the basic overall thing. Where are we headed? What is it that we want to see accomplished? Where are we going? What is the compass? The map is how are we going to get there? What are the turns we're going to make? What are the things that we should see along the way? The clock is basically the goals that we have set. It's one thing to say, well, yes, I want my children to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but we have to set goals. And that's normal. We do that in all the other places. We set goals for uh, them in their education. We set goals for them in, with uh, motor skills and speaking and things like that. We need to have spiritual goals as well. And we've looked at basically saying, hey, here's the map that we want to produce. And it is an imitation-centered map. In other words, as Christians, we want to imitate our Savior The purpose of our child rearing is to display who Christ is to them. The purpose of our grandparenting is to display Christ to them so that they can see Christ in us. That's our map. But I will tell you that whenever you use human things to illustrate biblical truths, they always break down at some point in time. Because honestly, what we're talking about tonight could be the map, could be the compass. It is the compass. It is the map. It's everything. And we're going to look tonight, I've called it looking at our compass. We've been talking a little bit about our map, but you could easily call this the map and the compass as well. And I want to ask you a question. What is the one thing about biblical Christianity that separates it from every other religion ever this world has seen? Now, don't, don't call out loud. I just want you to think about it for a second. Just think through it. I, I know some folks would say right away, well, Jesus, we have Jesus. There's, there's other religions that have Jesus. The same Jesus? No. But 
Jesus. Some would say, oh, well, we have, we have a Savior. There are other religions that have a Savior. If you were to sit down and look at it, in fact, I read, I could not verify this. I read this in a sermon, and I so badly wanted to find it so I could quote it so I knew it was right. So I'm going to tell you, the story has been told. That's how preachers introduce things that they couldn't verify, but it's still such a good story they don't want to leave it out, okay? So the story has been told about a number of different individuals who got together for some type of apologetics conference and they were getting together to talk about what is the one thing about Christianity they were sitting there and they were discussing back and forth and trying to come up with and one person would say well it's Jesus well it's the Trinity well it's this and this and every time they brought something up somebody that was there was able to say well actually I've come across this and they have something similar to the Trinity not exactly the same or they have something similar to a savior or they have something similar to uh, this type of thing and they would go back and forth and and go in that and then a fellow named C.S. Lewis how many of you ever heard of C.S. Lewis Okay, so he showed up, and he was late, which would make you think, oh, C.S. Lewis was a Baptist. He was not, but he still showed up late. And he showed up late, and he got there, and they said, what are we talking about? And somebody said, we're talking about what makes biblical Christianity different from everything else. And this is the compass that I want to look at. And C.S. Lewis answered immediately and said, well, that's easy. It, obviously, is grace. You see, we are the one people in the world that don't accomplish anything in our religion. Our relationship is provided for us. Our ability to do is provided for us. Everything is given to us. It is all of grace. And that is the compass that I want to encourage you as a parent, as a grandparent, is to follow the compass of grace. In other words, that thing that directs your thinking. Imagine using a compass. Now, boys and girls, I think some of you may not even know what a compass is, but there's probably a setting on your parents' car, and there's probably one on your smartphone that you can bring up an actual compass, and it will tell you which way you are pointed. Now, you may not know what that's for, but there used to be a time when we had maps, and you had to know where north was so that you could look at the map and you could orient yourself, because back in our days, the maps didn't turn for you, right? Right? Nowadays, the map turns for you, and the arrow's pointing that way on your screen. You should look up and be able to see. But there were times when the maps didn't turn for you, and so you could get on a road and drive the absolute wrong way. I was traveling for Pensacola. We got up early in the morning. We had to drive into downtown Chicago for a service. We were outside of Chicago. If you know where Chicago is on a map, you'll understand the problem with this. But we got on the interstate, and as I am driving, I am noticing that the Sun is coming up in my rearview mirror. And my brain said to me, you can't drive from the east into Chicago because there's this thing called Lake Michigan. Very difficult to drive. And then I realized I'm on the right road, but I'm heading the wrong direction. Everybody was asleep. I pulled off the interstate, turned around, and headed back towards Chicago. I got on I-whatever-it-is up there, I-10 or something, or I-4, I forget what it is up there that up, up, up in Chicago. But I got on the right interstate, but got headed the wrong direction. And so the compass tells us, okay, here's what we're going to go. And what I want to encourage you to do as a parent, as a grandparent, is to use grace. Not grace, the church. Grace, grace. God's grace. And so often we get distracted from grace and we look at a different thing. Now, first off, I want to encourage you to look away from some faulty compasses and then look at grace. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll jump into it tonight. Lord, thank you for your watch care over us. Lord, even though we don't understand grace, Lord, it's amazing to me to think that we will spend eternity praising 
your grace to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly become masters of grace. Lord, not just aware, but Lord, diving into the depths and enjoying your goodness and your grace. Speak to us now as we study. In Christ's name, amen. There are a number of different compasses that people have used, but there's probably two that come up most often. And I have seen this in numerous different books. I've seen this in numerous different series in seminars. And I do not know the first person to come up with this. The last one that I read it in was Tim Kimmel's book on grace-based parenting. But he talks about the idea that a lot of families basically have a behavioral-focused compass. In other words, they have certain behaviors that they think, okay, this is an acceptable thing. This is, in fact, a desirable thing. And that is the compass. Is my child, and then you fill in the behavior. Is my child kind? Is my child um, obedient? Is, Is my child respectful? Is my child a hard worker? And we look at that, and that is sometimes easy to get distracted because we talked last time about having a virtues focused map where we look at the virtues that we see in our Christ, the virtues that we see in our Savior, and then we try to model those virtues and teach those virtues to our children. But behavioral focus, and it's such an easy thing to do, gets off of the focus, our focus is off of Christ, and instead of it being on a person, we start to focus on a thing, all right? Somebody's putting it together. And we want to teach our children to tell the truth, right? But we can get so easily distracted to, okay, you must learn to tell the truth instead of you must get to know and see he who is the truth. And this behavioral focus is something that's happened for a long time with followers of God. Listen to Isaiah. The Bible says in Isaiah 29, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and listen, their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, their walk with me, their worship, their life is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. And so we teach, this is how you talk to your mother. This is how you don't talk to your father. You have to do this correctly. This is how you behave in church. This is how you don't behave in church. This is what you do at school. This is what you don't do at school. This is how you talk to this person. This is how you don't talk to this person. And we look at these things. Now listen, I'm not saying that we don't teach those things. But that can't be the map. It's interesting what he says in verse 14. He says, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. God says, I'm going to get them to the point where they realize, hey, teaching correct behaviors is not the goal. And honestly, there are some folks, that's just the bait. They just want to try to get their kids to the point where they are behaving correctly. One of the great advantages that my wife and I had was going to a, a couples conference here, Grace Baptist Church, couples retreat. We used to do a, uh, it, was a it was sometimes a difficult thing to do, to be honest, uh, to try to zip over someplace late on a Friday night, listen to two or three sessions, try to stay awake, uh, and then come back early Saturday morning, and then 
you know, head back. And I was always personally upset because it was one of the few times in my life that I had cable TV for that uh, 17 hours and never got to see ESPN because we had all this preaching going on and, uh, and had to run back down there. But I remember this one particular couples conference, they decided to do things a little bit differently. Instead of having the person preach again, they decided to pull up some different couples from Grace Baptist Church. Some of you may remember, remember this, some of you may not. But they pulled up some different couples of Grace Baptist Church and had them answering different questions. Now, this is something, honestly, I would love to do that, but my wife would fear greatly what question would be asked and what I would say. And so these couples that got up there and said, okay, and they were going through answering different things. I think we turned in uh, some different questions. And one person turned the question and said, hey, if you could change one thing, what would you go back and change? Now, this was a couples conference. And so a lot of the questions were based on couples and things like this. But there was a lady that was there. That she, she said it very stoically, and she said it very carefully, but she said, if I could do one thing over, I would go back, and instead of focusing on training my children to be good, I would somehow focus on training my children to be godly. And my kids were little, and I remember sitting there thinking, because if you would have asked me, her kids were some of the best kids in the youth group. They, they, they behaved. They, they, they behaved most of the time. I mean, everybody struggles in junior high, amen? <laughs> but they behaved. They were leaders. They did what they were supposed to do. They had some rough bumps here and there. But I would have said, hey, those are the kind of kids that I want in the youth group because they knew how to behave. And yet the mama at that point in time recognized, you know what? And the thing is, is her kids aren't bad kids. They're not in jail. They're not, you know, on the FBI top, you know, 10 most wanted list, anything like that. But she said, I wish I would go back. And I could train them to be godly. And that got me and Day thinking, how are we going to do that? There's a lot more parenting books that are out there now. And that's when we first came across, I believe, The uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And, and we read that. And we read some other books and began to look at, okay, how are we going to train for godliness? How are we going to train our girls not just to behave correctly so that you don't embarrass the assistant pastor of Grace Baptist Church, but that, so that you, you grow up godly? And I praise the Lord for her, her, her being candid And for her just sharing, hey, this is what I would do, and I want to encourage you. It is never too late. You may say, well, my kids now have their own kids. It's never too late to turn around and say, you know what? I'm not going to focus on doing the right thing, but on being the right person. And so often this behavioral focus, this faulty map, this faulty compass, I want a child that acts this way and acts this way. We slip into it so many different ways. I don't have time to get into all the different ways we slip into it. Sometimes it's to save us from embarrassment. Sometimes it's to fit into the norm of the place that we are. But we have to be careful of being focused on correctness. So it's not a behavior-focused compass, and neither should it be an influence-focused compass. I was one of the first ones to go to a private Christian school. My brother was in the first class of the private Christian school that we went to up in Michigan. His class was the oldest class. When he was in seventh grade, they didn't have an eighth grade. When he was in eighth grade, they didn't have a ninth grade. I don't have to go through the rest of the grades. You get the picture, right? Because they built the grades. And that's what happened here at, at Grace Baptist Church, too, I believe. Is they, they started adding. They started with an elementary school, and they added it as they, as they came along. And I can remember going to Christian school with a number of individuals, with a number of folks that just didn't want their child under the influence of the public school. And they said, we've got to get them out of that influence. And this is a different focus. This is an influence focus. This is something that looks back to fear. And an interesting thing happened. I wish I would have written down exactly what the person said, but I came here 
and I was talking to some different parents about, hey, you know, we want to get your child involved in the youth group. We want to get your child ahead and, and doing some different things. Because they had a teenager who was, in, I don't know, 7th, 8th, or ninth grade. And they had some other kids in the house. And I said, I'd really like them to come and be a part. And the, the person was not being funny. They were not being uh, humorous. They just said, well, we decided long ago that we were going to have to be careful about the influence of our children. And then for the next about five or six minutes, this person told me why they weren't going to let their child be a part of the youth group or part of Sunday school because of, and I remember as a 24-year-old youth pastor thinking, I remember hearing something like this back in the 70s. But they weren't saying they weren't going to be a part of the youth group. They were saying they weren't going to be a part of the public school. And this influence base, this idea that says, you know what, to make my child be what they need to be, I'm going to sequester them away from everybody, hold them out, keep the bad influences away, I'll keep the bad influences at bay, and then I'll be able to produce what I want to do. And this is a fear-based approach. And a fear-based approach is absolutely anti-biblical, because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, If you homeschool your child or you public school your child or you Christian school your child, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea that I'm going to do something based on fear because I don't want them to be around the public school. I don't want them to be around the Christian school kids. I don't want them to be around the homeschool kids. And we've actually seen this now grow to the point where there are some families that are saying, listen, the church has bad influences on my kids. Therefore, we are going to have a home church. And we're going to decide to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and we're going to protect and keep this tribe doing what it should do. And a fear-based approach, fear-based approach is the absolute wrong compass because God has told us that if we follow him, that we don't need to fear. That we don't need to fear what man can do to me. Now, I'm not saying that you just blindly go into anything and say, hey, you know, whatever. God says don't fear so I can. No, you're not supposed to be foolish. You are supposed to be careful. The Bible says that that we, we are supposed to prepare for battle and all the rest of that. But these two approaches aren't the approach that we need. We need the grace approach. The approach that says, okay, I am going to, and this is where we get, it's difficult for some of us. I am going to enjoy and bask and roll in the grace of God so that my child can see it and so that I can express to them how their God wants them to interact with them. Now, there's a couple, three, just three things really quickly I want to try to look at this, this evening in the last couple of minutes of how we do that, how we approach. So the grace compass, what's the first point on the grace compass? I think the first point is the idea that I am hopelessly helpless, that I cannot do this. One of the things that struggles, that everybody struggles with is this idea that we can make it without. You say, well, Pastor Gorwell, I know, it's Sunday night, preacher, I know that I can't go without God. And, And yet, how many times do we do that? How many times do we venture into something and then we find ourselves in a mess and then we say, Lord, help. How many times do we get up and say, okay, I've got this. Now, we don't ever get up in the morning and go, okay, I got this, God, I don't need your help. But we're kind of busy, we're kind of running through things, and we say, okay, what's the most important thing? We certainly won't leave the house without showering or by brushing, without brushing our teeth, at least most of us, right? So we're going to say, this has to get done. I cannot exist in modern America with unbrushed teeth. Now, some of you are sitting there, you're acting very coy because you're like, well, there's been times I just chewed gum all day. You can get by with it for like a little bit. You should see the look on some of your faces. You're like, "Mm." 
I mean, you just got upset with somebody. You don't even know who it is. But let's be honest. How many times have we gotten up and said, I don't really need to spend time with God today. I've done it. Now, I didn't say it that way. I just said it like, whew, got up late. What do I have time for? This, this, and this. Imagine walking into work with bedhead and your coworker saying, man, what happened? Well, I got up late and only had time to spend time with the Lord. Didn't have time to shower or brush my teeth. Good morning. But see, we don't have this idea that we're hopelessly helpless. We, we read this this morning, Philippians 3. I just want to touch on it. Paul says in verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now get this, what he says. You've memorized this, you've heard it. But he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I've got a ledger. And either it helps me get to know Christ more or it is a detriment to my life. The ability to be at that place is difficult in modern America. Do you not feel hurried? Do you not feel pressured to get here, to get this, to take care of this? I'm not talking about being in a hurry. Sometimes we're in a hurry just because we're in. I'm talking about that outside pressure that attacks you and says, you got to get this done, you got to get this done, you got to get this done, you got to get this done. Adults, do you remember when sports used to just be played during their season? Do you remember those days? Soccer happened during soccer season, basketball during basketball season. Now it happens all of the time, two different teams. And we're hurried to get here because we don't want our child to miss out. And we think if my child doesn't make the travel team, they're going to miss out. They're not going to have this opportunity to. And Paul said, I've got basically a ledger. It helps me get closer to Christ or it's lost. It's not a big deal. And he says, if it doesn't help me get closer to Christ, I'm going to put it in this. He says, I've suffered all the loss of the loss of all things and count them but dung. And I know that we're not comfortable with that word in proper society. But Paul said it is a pile of worthlessness. He literally says the things in my life that do not draw me closer to Christ, they are a pile of refuse, dung, worthlessness. That is his opinion. And yet there is so much that distracts us. Entertainment, social media, sports, Making money, all of these different things that keep assaulting us as Christians and takes us away from this idea that it's either draws us closer to Christ or it's worthless. Paul says, I've got to have them. I have to have them. And it's interesting. Look down to verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When is the last time you've actually set a goal for growing in your knowledge of Christ, for growing in your joy in Christ, for growing in your in practicing the presence of Christ? There are so many things that people have written and they have basically commercialized our Christian walk in 40 days till this, 30 days till this, 120 days till this. And you can go on Amazon and find any different number of devotionals. But when is the last time that you've said, you know what, I've got to, I've got to know him more. 
I've got to do something different than I've done for the first 10, 15, 40, 50, 80 years of my life because I must know him more. A couple of years ago, I was touched, was helping my parents move out of their house, moving over to North Carolina to the beach house. And I was packing up things and different things. Both my mom and my dad had different things right by their chair that they were reading in the pursuit of their relationship with Christ. And I thought, praise the Lord. At the time, they were in their 70s. But I said, I'm glad that my parents in their 70s were the same parents that I saw in the 70s. (laughs) See what I did there? Because I saw them pursuing God when I was a little kid, too. My, My parents had a box spring and mattress on the floor and I would come home from delivering the paper route and it would have black paper ink all over my hands and mom I have the distinct memory of coming up the steps and mom sitting on her bed with her back against the wall I would put my hand on the wall and lean down and give mom a kiss and say say good morning and the wall was pretty black and I don't know if mom didn't clean it up because she said my moron son's going to come in tomorrow with his paper Uh, black hands and ruin it again or if she left it there but I, I remember seeing that I remember hearing my dad pray these these ideas that we can get enough we have to get past this idea that we get to a place Paul says I count not myself to have apprehended I press toward the mark so you have to be hopelessly helpless the next thing on the grace compass is not just that you're helpless and that you need him but that he is amazingly incredibly lovingly in his infinite grace to you. We talked about wonderful character traits this morning. Did you think of loving? I tell you, when I first read that in a book, I didn't come up with that this morning. I read that in a book. And I I thought of things, you know what? I immediately thought of different character traits and I immediately tied them to people. I thought of joy and I thought of Miss April. It amazed me how she was always joyful. And, and believe me, there are so many different situations. Now, was she always joyful? No. There were sometimes she was upset. It's never with me. I was the loved son-in-law. But other ones sometimes felt her ire. <laughs> but I thought of Miss April. When I thought of loving, I thought of people. When I thought of peaceful, I thought of people. And then it said, did you think about Christ? And it made me realize I still think of him as something other than a person. And Jesus Christ is not just love because Jesus loves me, this I know. But have you felt love? Have you ever felt love? Sadly, there may be be some people in this room that never really feel like they have felt love from another person. But can I just remind you that if you have felt love from a wife, from a husband, from a child, from a mom, from a dad, from a grandmother, that it is just a poor, hampered, hindered reflection that is soaked in sin and barely just shines a little bit of the love that is infinitely possessed by your Savior. And there is no reason for you not to experience that and to know that. And that's what Paul said, church at Ephesus. Listen to his prayer. He says, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded. Everything, your strength, your sustenance, rooted and grounded in love. 
may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and know the love of God which passeth knowledge. That seems like, what are you saying? How could you know something that passes knowledge? You can never get to the end of God's love. And as parents, as grandparents, if we are not amazed at the wonderful love of our God, at the matchless grace of our God, if we are not blown away and absolutely in a personal loving relationship with a person who loves us, it's going to be hard to use that compass of grace. But see, when we, when we understand how much God loves us, grace makes a little bit of sense. Because he keeps pouring and keeps pouring and keeps pouring. So the first part on the compass is that we are hopelessly helpless. Then he is infinitely loving. Then the last one will be done for this evening from 2 Corinthians 12. His grace is everything. Now this entire world is engineered to try to get you distracted to think that you need something beside his grace. Haven't you honestly thought that if you just had a little bit more money, things would be better? How many of you have ever thought that? My hand's up. Maybe not a little more, maybe a lot more. Maybe you thought a lot more money. Okay? Oh, sorry about that. But I've honestly thought, you know what? If I, if I were to win the Powerball, church wouldn't complain because I'd tithe. And I remember thinking, that would be all right. Yeah, that would be okay. That wouldn't cause a problem. See, because I... I believe in the power of money. I do. But what about grace? See, Jesus Christ said in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul said, Lord, I need this. Would you get rid of this thorn in the flesh? He said unto me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient. Paul, I don't need to answer your prayer. My grace has this cover. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 10. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. There's nothing that we face that grace has not provided an escape. And then listen to this. I know you're familiar with this passage. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are so many times when we think, well, if I could just get this, if I could have a little bit more health, if I could have a little bit more time, if I could have a little bit more money, if I could have a little bit more strength, if I could have a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this, God says, no, you know what? You can boldly come and you can ask for more grace and I will give you more grace. Because in your need, do you know what you need? Grace. And grace is not, again, yes, we know we are saved by grace, but grace is not just the introduction. It is the whole life. And if our children, if our grandchildren, if our great-grandchildren will see a smile come across our face and a twinkle begin in our eye when we start thinking about grace, it will start to build within them a curiousness. A wonder. What is this? And folks, it's the one thing that we have that nobody else has. No other religion. There are so many young people that are out there searching and looking to see if this is, what does this have? What does this have? What are these guys doing? And we've got the one thing that nobody else has. 
is God's infinite grace freely given to us through his son for us to enjoy. And it's enough. It's more than enough. And we can go get more whenever we need it. Whenever there's a need, we can boldly come. We can walk into the throne room of the heavenlies and say, Lord, I need more grace. And God will supply. And if we use this as our compass, say, listen, this is what I want my child to do. If my child graduates from high school as a valedictorian, okay. If they graduate as the MVP on the team, okay. If they get a scholarship to college, okay. I don't care about that. I want them to know and love and enjoy and bask and understand God's grace. If they do that, then I've set them in the right direction. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. In the following weeks, of course, next week we have Christmas at Grace, so we won't be continuing this study, but we will be continuing the study. I know we're getting into the time when some folks will be traveling. Let me encourage you, families, to, to continue, because we're going to look at some practical ways. Um, and, and again, if, you're, if, if you'd like to read a lot of this, most of this, and what we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks, comes from uh, Kimmel's book, Grace-Based Parenting. Just gives some practical ways to show that grace, to, ex- to let your children experience that grace through your walk in grace. And it'll be a blessing. But that's what we'll be covering the next couple of times we get together on a Sunday evening when we don't have Christmas at Grace and those kinds of things. And I hope that you'll take that and, and begin to enjoy, begin to enjoy God's grace. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, help us not to say that habitually. Lord, help us to say that filled with awe, filled with wonder. Lord, filled with just absolute joyous loving worship that in a few hours we will go to bed and we will wake up and you will have fashioned brand new mercies because of grace your Holy Spirit will have been praying for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because of grace your son will be ever interceding on our behalf because of grace. And Lord, help us to enjoy, rest, proclaim, and grow in grace. We love you. In Christ's precious name, amen.